0: This is the NT Filmmakers Podcast, Episode 8.
1: This is the NT Filmmakers Podcast where we talk to filmmakers and creatives from the Northern Territory of Australia about their projects, their experiences and their challenges. And now, here's your host,
2: Steve Archer.
0: Welcome everyone to the NT Filmmakers Podcast. This is the second in a series of special episodes leading up to the first milestone for the NT Filmmakers Podcast, our 10th episode. In this episode, we'll be hearing some of the script readings from the recent NT Filmmakers Network meetup. These readings were recorded live at the meetup and showcase the amazing talent we have in the NT. The meetup was sponsored by Castaway, the only talent agency in Darwin. Some of you may remember we spoke to Sarah Price from Castaway in episode 3. If you'd like to join Castaway, or you're looking for talent for your next production, you can contact them at cooey at castawaynt.com.au. So sit back and relax, I hope you enjoy the show.
3: Okay, Love in the Age of Extinction by Nick Sun. Exterior car day. Long shot of a car driving through barren wasteland, somewhere between Alice Springs and Darwin. Aggressive, abrasive, thrash punk music can be heard emanating from the car. The camera pans to reveal the empty, desolate landscape that surrounds. There is no one and nothing else around. Interior car day. Annalise, a lady in her early 30s, is driving the car. Aggressive, abrasive, thrash punk music plays on a stereo. She's attractive in an unconventional, tomboyish way. She wears... Perhaps the barest of eyeliner, but that's all the makeup she has time for. Under her sleeves are the barely visible edges of some hippie anarchist tattoos. She's tense and wound up. In the seat next to her is Walter, a man in his early 40s. He has a beard that does not quite yet fit his face. He looks like your standard bogan. But this front hides a deep vulnerability and innocence that, like Annalise's tattoos, are just barely visible. Both stare ahead in silence, but Walter can't help himself from stealing glances. ...of her, out of the corner of his eye.
4: Why are you looking at me like that?
0: I'm not looking at you. Yes you
4: are. You think I can't see you looking at me out of the corner of your eye? All the time?
0: Nah, I was just, um, watching the way you were driving.
4: Well stop it. It's fucking creepy.
3: A few moments of silence. I guess I just think you're pretty, that's all.
4: I can't believe this. You're not going to try anything, are you? What do you mean? The fucking world's ended. Society's collapsed and you're trying to crack onto me? Jesus Christ, men.
0: Oh, I can't help it. Sorry for thinking you're pretty.
4: Listen, Romeo, this is just an arrangement, okay? Me, you, it's not gonna happen. That's not part of the deal. The deal is you help me. I help you we both get to Darwin and hopefully, hopefully there'll be a few other survivors. And then, then who the fuck knows what's happening after that, but there'll be more options, but don't think like this is some kind of romantic road trip and you're going to hook up with me. All right. Everything and everyone that I know and loved care- and cared for is dead and the world is broken and it's not going to get better. And I'm just not in the fucking mood.
3: Annalise tears, tears up but doesn't let herself cry, catching herself just as the last moment and wiping her eye with her sleeve. She lets have a couple of strangled sobs. Aw, oh, babe. <laughs>
4: Don't call me fucking babe!
3: Exterior car day. Walter and Annalise are checking out an abandoned car on the highway. Annalise has a gas can and a siphon in her hand. Walter has a bag. They check the car's contents. There are some skeletons in the car but they pay them no mind. Walter finds a box of groceries in the trunk.
0: Score! Look at all this beef jerky!
3: He opens a pack and crams a handful into his mouth, piggishly. You want some?
4: (laughs) You can have it. I'm vegan.
0: What, vegan? Even now? It's gonna be
3: hard to find tofu these days. Annalise ignores him. She opens up the gas tank of the car and sucks the tube. To begin siphoning out the petrol. More silence. Hey, I'm sick of this game. Just tell me your name, alright?
4: We made an arrangement. No names. No biographical information. It's easier if we don't know anything about each other.
3: Yeah, but come on. I'm bored of this game. Walter goes over to shake Annalise's hand.
0: Hi, my name's Walter.
3: Annalise doesn't take it at first. She just stares at him and then stares at him. Eventually, she gingerly takes it.
4: Annalise.
0: Annalise. Beautiful name. Oh Sounds like aniseed.
3: <laughs> Annalise stares witheringly at Walter, like he's an idiot. She's done emptying this tank. They walk back to their car. Exterior campfire night. Walter and Annalise sit around a fire eating service station junk food, russians and a soft drink. Annalise takes out a packet of pills from her bag and downs a few of them with soft drinks.
4: What are those pills you keep taking? Hormone supplements. I've got a condition.
0: Is it serious? Yes. What is it?
4: None of your business.
0: Jeez, someone's got to be up their bonnet. So what did you do before the collapse?
4: I don't want to talk about it.
0: I thought we could talk about this stuff now. Alright, I'll go first. I was in the mining industry. I used to drive those big, sw- big fucking tracks into the mines and load them up full of ore and drive them back out again. Shit job. I hated it.
4: Jesus Christ. What? You're part of the problem. You're part of why everything went down the way it did.
0: You can't say that. It wasn't my fault. I was just doing my job. It was good pay. If I didn't do it, someone else would have.
4: That's what the Nazis said. Who did you vote for?
0: The Liberals, of course.
4: Of course you did, Jesus Christ. A fucking, a fucking Liberal voter.
0: What? They said they could help the economy. <laughs> and make more jobs, and stop all them Muslim suicide bombers from coming into the country and
3: blowing us up.
4: I can't believe it. One other person left alive in this world, and it has to be fucking a right-wing conservative miner.
3: This silence as Annalise chews on her candy bar, staring at the fire. That's you, too.
4: you know the MacArthur mine bombing.
3: Yeah, of course. I was
0: working there when it happened.
4: Me and my crew, we did that. What, you? Yep. We made the bomb, rigged it up, planted it, set it off, watched that motherfucking burn.
0: You were one of those eco-terrorists on the news.
4: We weren't terrorists. That's just what the media called us. We were just trying to stop what happened. We were too late, of course, but damn it felt good to do it anyway for the Earth.
0: Jesus... That's wild. You're a fiery one, you are. One of the top bosses of my company died in that blast.
4: Yeah, Clive Reinhardt. That's who we were aiming for.
0: He was a real cunt.
4: <laughs> Can you not use that word, please? It's really offensive to someone that has one.
0: Sorry.
3: <laughs>
0: he was a real arsehole. Like a real fucking arsehole. And to be honest, when everyone heard that he got blown up, no-one gave a shit. Few of us even had some beers to celebrate.
4: Well, I guess that makes you good guys.
3: Silence, as they both
0: watch. And seriously, though, sorry for cracking onto you the other day. I guess, you know, us being the last two people left and all makes you kind of want to just...
4: What?
0: Well, look, I thought about it some more and I realised... You know, even if we are the last two people left, we can't get it on just to continue the species. Because, like, even if I did get you pregnant, I'm not saying I'm going to try. I'm just saying, like, if I did, you know, for us to continue the species and all, well, we'd have to do a lot of inbreeding, you know. (laughs) to keep it going. Like, if you had a son, well, he'd have to um, impregnate you when he was old enough and I don't know how I'd feel about that as his dad having your missus cheat on you with your son, you know. (laughs) It's a bit weird. I wouldn't know whether to feel betrayed by you or proud of him, because he got laid. <laughs> and if it was a daughter, well, she'd have to be impregnated by me, and I'm not sure so sure that's a good thing to do, you know? They might all end up a bit retarded in the face, you know? It's all a bit weird. I don't think I could do it, even if it meant us humans went extinct.
4: Jesus, is that what's been going on in your head the whole time? Thinking about whether or not, if you got me pregnant, if you had, if you had it in your in you to fuck your own daughter?
0: Well, I wouldn't put it that way. I was just
4: saying. If these are the genes that are left, I'm glad we're going extinct.
3: Interior car day. Walter drives. Annalise is sleeping in the front seat. Walter keeps stealing glances at her, smitten. Interior car night. Annalise drives. Walter is snoring in the front seat. She just stares ahead intensely. Exterior disused parking lot day. Annalise is throwing bottles around and breaking random pieces of junk in the disused car lot with a baseball bat in a tantrum. Walter stands around concerned, but unable to do anything.
4: Fuck! Fuck! Shit!
3: Oh, babe. Come on. Settle down. Annalise doesn't hear him and continues to break a few more things then stops leaning up against the wall with her head in hands, breathing heavily.
4: (sighs) Alright. Alright, I'm calming down. I'm accepting the situation. I'm accepting the situation.
3: Annalise turns around and slides down the wall to, to be sitting on the ground.
0: Look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry everyone's dead up this way too. I thought there'd be at least a few other people alive.
4: Me too, Walter. Me too.
0: What do we do now?
4: I don't know. I don't know. I guess we eventually just run out of food and hope and then we die. Go extinct.
0: I'm hungry. Are you hungry?
4: You're always hungry.
3: I saw a place down the road that looked alright. Interior cafe night. Lucky bat. Walter and Annalise. I'm just saying. Walter and Annalise are seated at a table in an empty cafe. There are skeletons at some of the other tables. Plates still in front of them. Walter and Annalise ignore them all. They are sitting, eating stale cereal, and boxed soy milk by candlelight in silence. Annalise looks tired and despondent. Hey, um, just to let you know, this isn't
0: a date, okay? Just in case you think I think it's a date because these candles and shit, I'm just saying, it's not a date. I know, Walter. Well, I just wanted to make it clear to you that I'm not trying anything, OK? We've been through a lot today, what with everyone being fucking dead. <laughs> and, you know, the last thing I want you to feel is, like, uncomfortable, like I'm trying to crack onto you. I'm
4: too tired to even give a shit, Walter.
0: All right, because, <laughs> you know... I know just because I worked in the mines and that, and you were, you know, running around bombing the mines and stuff, that you think I'm a bad guy, but I'm really not.
4: I know you're not, Walter. This is just how bad things happen sometimes. A whole bunch of regular people like you just playing along with a really shitty system and not doing anything to change it, and now everyone's dead.
0: All right, good. I just wanted to be clear about that. <laughs> Yuck. I don't know how you vegans
3: can stand this soy milk shit. Takes like fucking hours. Interior hotel lobby night. Walter and Annalise are sleeping on the floor of a hotel lobby on blankets next to each other. A few feet away from each other, Walter snores loudly, sounding like a live pig is being chainsawed in half. Annalise stares up at the ceiling, wide awake. Interior hotel lobby morning. Annalise and Walter have accidentally ended up spooning each other during the night. Annalise is the outer spoon, and Walter is the inner spoon. <laughs> Walter wakes up and realises what is happening, and snuggles back into it. <laughs> Interior cafe morning. Annalise and Walter are eating the same cereal and boxed soy milk for breakfast in silence. Any idea about what we should do?
4: How about you... Take me on a date. (coughs) What? You heard me. Everything's fucked. May as well have some fun. Right?
0: Um, yeah, all right. Um, when should I pick you up?
4: What do you mean? I don't live anywhere, neither do you. The world's dead, Walter. No one lives anywhere anymore, except in our memories. And then after we die, they'll be gone too.
0: Right. Okay, uh, I need to get ready though.
3: Can you give me a few hours?
4: I can give you all the time in the world, Walter. My schedule's pretty open these days.
3: Walter's preparation. Various shots of Walter preparing for the date. Walter is in a men's clothing shop, stealing clothes, trying them on. Walter is in a jewellery store. He smashes the counter, shoves some jewellery into a plastic bag. Walter grabs a bunch of dead, dried flowers from a shopping centre lobby. Walter smashes open a liquor store cabinet to grab a bottle of scotch interior hotel lobby evening. Walter, looking as, it, as cleaned up as he can, dressed in some nice but badly coloured coordinated men's clothes, knocks on the door of the hotel lobby where he last left Annalise. He is holding a bouquet of dead dried flowers from scene 12 and you can see he is quite nervous.
4: Who is it? It's Walter. I'm sorry, Walter? Walter who? Walter!
3: Do you know who this is? <laughs> Annalise opens the door to reveal that she hasn't done anything to prepare for the date. She looks exactly the same as she did in the morning.
0: Wow,
3: you look beautiful.
4: You clean up pretty good yourself.
3: Yeah, these are for you. Walter hands Annalise a plastic bag full of expensive jewellery.
4: You sure know how to treat a lady.
3: Annalise puts on a very expensive and ornate jewel necklace over her messy, scummy clothes.
4: Where are you taking me tonight?
3: Exterior car park night, Annalise and Walter are drunk and breaking things with baseball bats in a car lot. Smashing windows and various things while laughing and hooting a lot. They sit down on the ground and Walter pours more scotch into a plastic cup.
4: This is a pretty good day. (laughs) Considering the circumstances, I'm having fun.
0: Yeah, me too. I thought about it for a while and figured you like smashing stuff and blowing stuff up. So why not um, just do that for a date?
4: You know me too well. You know, Walter, aside from the mining and the right-wing politics, you're not so bad.
3: Thanks. There's silence for a minute.
0: Hey, listen, I just need to tell you something. What? I've never, um... I've never been with a girl before. What? You heard me. You've never been with anyone before.
2: Oh. You're a virgin?
0: Mmm, yeah. <laughs> never even been kissed. I'm shy, you know. Late bloomer.
4: Oh. <laughs> well, don't worry, I'm a lesbian. Well, technically, I'm bi sometimes, but I'm mostly lesbian. Also, trans. (laughs) What? I was born male. Aaron was my name back when I was a boy. always felt like I was in the wrong body, so I transitioned in my early 20s then joined Forest Defense Alliance and started blowing things up and now the world's over and I'm on a date with a Bogan miner, Virgin. Life doesn't get much weirder than this.
3: Walter is dumbfounded.
4: Do you still want to go out with me or should you just take me home now?
3: Annalise um. grabs him and kisses him passionately, pushing him to the ground. Walter, stunned, wrestles at first, but then begrudgingly submits (coughs) and lays down. Fade out. Mm -hmm. Interior car day. Annalise is driving the car. Walter is sitting on the front seat, still a bit shaken. His hair is tussled. He wears the same clothes he was wearing for the date.
4: At least you don't have to worry about having to impregnate your daughter now.
3: (laughs) Where are we going?
4: The coast. I haven't been swimming at the beach for a long time, have you?
3: Walter stares out the window, dazed. No, babe. Exterior road day, long shot of the car driving fast through the desolate landscape. The same aggressive, abrasive, thrash punk music that was in the beginning plays as the camera pans around to watch the car as it disappears into the heat waves on the horizon. The end.
5: The Strange Lights in the Sky, a series by Levin E. Deschenko. Caption. Am I going that? How much detail do you want? Caption. One. Smits. Fade up. Interior interrogation room. A man sits at a table in a small room. On the other side of the small table are two cyclopses facing the first. They're all dressed in traditional pyjama tops, knee-long, with floppy nightcaps. The lone man has a sports jacket over the top, the others have military style jackets over theirs. He starts awake.
1: says in your passport that you're from Australia. What?
5: You don't look at it. Hey, what is this?
1: How long do you think you've been asleep for?
6: I'm sorry, where am I? He's disorientated. That's a good
1: sign.
5: What's the last last thing you remember?
6: Huh?
5: He He thinks. going, Going to sleep? They nod.
7: Wait, how did
6: I get here?
1: You just said it. You went to sleep. Where am I? You're in customs.
6: Immigration.
1: I'm customs and here's immigration.
6: You're...
7: you're what? Where is this? The slits. I don't know what that is.
1: Everyone who travels from one state to another has to go through the slits.
7: You mean like... like the opening in a mailbox? Sure. He means the strange lights in the sky or slits. I don't remember traveling into I only remember being very tired and lying down.
6: Exactly, and you traveled from waking state to sleeping. You were in the dream state for a conspicio- conspicuously long time, Conspicuous. and now you conspicuously long time, and now you're returning. But before we can allow you back through, you need to ask. We need to ask you some questions. Reassess your visa.
1: See if you check out.
6: This is bullshit.
1: What's your language?
6: This is
7: harassment. I spent half my life in the dream state, you know? Yes, you do seem to come back and
6: forth a lot. Your travel schedule resembles that of a smuggler. How dare you?
1: There are many spies in our Mr. Shagpile. It's our job to protect the borders.
6: (laughs) Well, I'm
7: not a spy or a smuggler. What would someone even smuggle from the dream state?
1: Hey, are you hiding a smirk on your person? What?
5: Search him. There's a smile in there for sure. (laughs) They go over to him. No!
7: What on earth do you think you're
1: doing? We're not on earth.
5: They crowd him and manhandle him. Reset. The scene is as it was at the start. Only this time, Kadek only has his pyjamas on. Customs is rifling through the pockets in Kadek's jacket. Immigration puts a suitcase on the table. Kadek is upset. Do you have
6: anything to declare before we take a look
7: inside your luggage? Look, I didn't even know what's in my luggage. Are you sure it's even mine?
1: You don't remember carrying that?
7: I don't seem to remember anything about my trip. All I remember is going to bed. That's how it should be. The whole place is basically classified. Why?
1: We'll ask the questions.
7: Look, people bring souvenirs from holidays. That's
5: normal. Immigration unzips the suitcase.
6: Is that what you did? Smuggled in a few souvenirs? No, I'm just saying. Because that's treason, you
5: know. Opens case, starts rifling through it, tossing clothes out all over the room. Is that really necessary? He pulls out a jar of honey. Honey?
1: What's this then? Undeclared foodstuffs?
5: I have no idea how that got there. I don't even like sweet foods. Customs now reaches in, but snatches his hand away.
1: Ow!
5: He carefully takes out a glass shard. Immigration takes out a blackened dildo.
7: What the hell? That's not mine.
5: Sure it isn't. Hands it to Customs, who (laughs) smells it.
1: it. Smells Burnt.
5: Next comes a fish and a loaf
6: of bread.
1: More no food,
6: huh? I s- suppose you don't know how that got in your luggage.
5: Oh, I swear, I have no idea. Lastly, out comes a stiletto high-heeled shoe. Wait. Customs in immigration look at each other, very interested, and then listen in. Give me that. Custom hands over the shoe. He seems to recognise it. This is familiar.
6: Yes? Tell, me, tell us more.
5: Yes. I'm starting to remember now. Kadek gets up and comes up close, so that the other two are in the background and in the shadow. Kadek is front-left. As he tells the story, a circular border appears, like split-screen, and in the circle are the images of the illustrations to the following story. (laughs) Okay, You can do it. Go Kadek.
7: Yes, it's coming back to me. I'd been alone for some time, but my reflections in the mirror were surrounded by women. There was no room for me in there, so I stopped looking in the mirror, realising that I was lonely. I covered my penis in honey so as so as to attract women. The first <laughs> <told> with <laughs> <laughs> the old
3: <laughs>
7: The first one that came 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 through the window, saying that those who come through the door are trying to sell you something. She didn't open the window, she came through it, glass rained inside. When she saw me, she laughed at me. And she said, and said she'd only go with a man who could urinate from a galloping horse. So I joined the equestrian club. Everyone there was wealthy and made big money deals with beer-soaked bread and pea-stained handshakes. My horse went yellow and smelled bad. So I never got the girl. The next woman came through the door, also without opening it. She was so beautiful, I wanted to bleed on her.
4: <laughs>
7: <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> she, she had a gaze that could, be, could split atoms. The world ended every time she blinked. I told her to go go away and come back with mud on her feet so that my floors would be decorated with her footprints. She did so, but didn't return. The third woman thought I was very poor because my window was smashed and my door was kicked in. So she spat on me. But she was so beautiful that I was baptized from it. When she left, I tried to follow. But a lizard was asleep on my left foot and a swarm of ants were crawling up from my right foot. My penis, however, managed to snap off and follow her.
3: <laughs>
2: oh my God.
7: I grew a new one waiting. Nevertheless, I
3: think did you I? Could not... be a little
7: bit more dramatic.
3: But... <laughs> <laughs> There's no direction for
7: <laughs> I grew a new one waiting. Nevertheless, I did not see her or it again. Finally, I got into practice of taking deep breaths around with me wherever I went. My heartbeat slowed slowed down, and I held up traffic until they overtook me and left me behind. But there were others left behind too, for one reason or another. One in particular was a nuclear bombshell, who left a trail of cars, crashed, and erections. People (laughs) would bring in her dead mice and birds for her to kiss and bring back to life. She kissed me and stole my breath. I flopped around the f- on the floor like a dying fish. When I came to, she was gone also. But I remembered what her be- belly button looked like. So I baked a loaf of bread with a navel in it like hers. I used it as a pillow. When it cooled down enough, I broke it and distributed among among a multitude of starving people. <laughs> To my luck, this eventually attracted her attention. She came back and cut in half with my eyes that gleamed like ancient swords. Each half of me healed separately, and they both fought over her. It was futile. And finally, she sharpened two sabers, one on her cleavage, and the other with her thighs, and handed us the blades. Finally, I killed myself, and this (laughs) won her (laughs) favour.
2: Wow, you
3: like that.
7: (laughs) We moved into a lighthouse overlooking a raging sea where my chin poured forth a beard to appease her thirst. We we lived off the olives and jewels that grew in her belly button. I (laughs) set fire to my penis each night and we made love until all the ships crashed into us. She, (laughs) She drank wine from my veins and I drank champagne from her high heel shoes. In the morning, I sipped the dew from her eyelashes until I got strapped in her gaze. I dreamt of kissing her on ships as they sunk under waves and of carrying her in my arms across the gaping abyss. Her orgasms generated electricity and sometimes I was zapped and shocked. I had to wear a rubber on my charred and blackened penis. Sadly, when when there was a certain amount of electricity generated, she'd vanish in a flash of lightning. The orgasms caused her to teleport. And the, bi- <laughs> and the bigger they were, the longer it, it took her to find her way back to me. Often hitchhiking and hungry from the journey, she warned me to let never to n- lay with another woman during these times because my memory would flow out with the scene. And I'd forget everything.
5: One day, she never reappeared. Finishing his recollection, he sits back down with the officials. They are both very disturbed.
6: (laughs) Maybe that's what happened. His memory went out with his fluids.
1: Which suggests he's telling the truth.
6: Maybe. I am telling the truth, dammit. My feeling is that, as such, we need to cease this interrogation.
1: What? Why?
6: Because we're making him remember. We're achieving the opposite of what we want. Can't I just go home? I feel like I've been held
7: here forever. Shut, Shut up. up.
5: Pause.
1: I don't think we should let him <coughs> in. Let's detain him. He already remembers too much.
5: Kadek listens with great trepidation.
6: I don't know. He seems to have been telling the truth. I was. I am. Please. Otherwise he would have not. Otherwise he would not have told us about her. He'd have lied and said nothing.
1: That's beside the point. Now that he does remember, we can't let him take all that back with him.
6: But it's our fault. We opened the suitcase. Our hands are tied. They both lift their hands
5: up to reveal they are indeed tied with rope.
1: <laughs> Wait here.
5: Customs and immigration now come forward, leaving Kadak behind in a reverse of what it was when Kadak told the story.
1: Okay. In this situation, the procedure is to let him in, but we plant something in his luggage.
5: From out of customs jacket, he produces a plant.
6: Oh, I thought you meant plant a bug so we could track him.
5: Immigration takes out a big roach from his jacket. Customs looks at it incredulously.
1: Doubt. We plant doubt in his luggage to destroy the
4: memory.
5: Ah, I get you now. Doubt. Cut to black. <coughs> uh, number two, the distance. It's interior home morning. He wakes with a start, sits depressed on his bed, looking at the spot. She would be if she was there. Placed there is the red high-heeled shoe. Nearby, he notices his suitcase. He opens it, and we see that it's full of soil, and a plant is growing out of it. It has one big flower that looks, like, that looks cockroach-like. The cockroach flower speaks.
2: What is the cause of this blackened mood?
5: The distance felt
7: between myself and her.
2: What if she's not there at the end of that gap? What if she never existed?
7: Such is the greatness of the distance that you begin to doubt its end.
2: Do you not doubt... Have you ever really felt her? Seen her? Really?
7: I felt the distance between. If not her, then what is it there so far away?
2: Nothing, perhaps.
7: There is no distance between myself and nothing. If there is no holiness, then there is no distance. But the distance I can prove. The distance is tangible. It is John in the wilderness to me.
5: The bug flower sneers cynically and goes back down into the suitcase. Cadet closes the suitcase on it while it whines in protests.
2: All
5: right. He gets <laughs> <laughs> he gets up, puts sports jacket and shoes on over his pyjamas, grabs briefcase, goes out as if to work. Fade to black. Eight hours later, reads the caption. <coughs> he enters again looking tired. He puts his suitcase down, undresses back to just pyjamas, and sits at a dining table. Kadek lifts the lid on his plate, on it is food scraps, as if the meals he has just finished. He does the same with an all but empty wine bottle and glass and now he leans back, rubs his belly and picks his teeth.
7: Fine meal. I'm as full as a refugee can. <laughs> well, I suppose
5: it's bedtime. Cadet gets in bed, opens a book and puts it on his chest and falls asleep. Cut to black. The th- uh, number three, the test. That's the interior interrogation room night. Same scene as the first episode, same players.
1: Well, well. Hello again, Mr. Shagpile.
5: This is getting to be a nightly thing. We should give you a job here.
1: That, or put you away. Forever.
7: Look, I'm just going abroad for a short break. I haven't done
6: anything. You haven't had a chance yet. Let's see how it is on your way back. This is harassment. I'm going to file a complaint. Just relax. We won't keep you long.
1: Not in this direction anyway.
5: The new procedure is to give you a test. If you pass the test, we'll let you through. Customs puts a smartphone on the table, turns it on. The image is of his bedroom at home. What's this?
1: This is the world. That's your room back in the waking state.
5: Cadet peers at the screen with great interest.
6: Yes, only just left there. Very good. And now you know how we told you that the dream state
5: is classified. What goes on there stays there. Cadet does not reply because he's watching the screen so keenly. Mr. Shagpal, Huh? Customs in Immigration seem happy with this. Customs, will you do the honour? Certainly. Um, hang on. Customs stands up and goes to a curtain.
6: Well, classified or no, we are going to reveal the whole place to you right now, completely. Customs will open the curtain, and you can look in from here.
7: What? I'll be with you in a second. I just want to see how things are going back there.
5: Immigration nods to Customs, who parts the curtains. Cadet sees nothing because he does not take his gaze away from the screen for an instant. Audience does not see either, but there is a glowing light. Customs and Immigration are very happy about this. Customs closes the curtain and returns. Immigration takes the phone. Hey! Now he is aware. <coughs> what happened? Don't worry, Mr you You've passed the test. I did? We're
1: going to let you through.
7: Oh, thanks. Um, but listen, I don't suppose I could see that phone just once, once more, could I? I just want to check something out something back home. Be not
6: Mr Shakepa, we are going to give you the world to take with you. He gives Kadek the phone.
1: You can take you can take and take it and use it to see home whenever you like.
7: Oh, this is great. This is very good of you.
1: It's our pleasure. You are now free to go.
6: And with plenty of time to catch your flight. Thanks.
1: Upstairs.
5: Kadek stands <laughs> up and slowly leaves, staring at the phone the whole time.
1: We're
6: becoming very efficient, aren't we,
5: customs?
1: Yes, Immigrations, we sure are. I don't mind saying.
5: Cut. Um, Four, empty suitcase. Fade up, interior home day. He wakes with a start, sits depressed on his bed, looking at the spot she would be if she were there. Instead of a woman, there are some tinted broken glass shards. This time, his foot is bandaged. He notices this with surprise. He takes up a phone. Mushy,
7: mushy. Yes, it's me. I won't be at work for a while. I seem to have cut my foot on Broken Dream.
5: Okay, bye. He hangs up. The plant pops up from the suitcase again.
2: You should go to work. You need the bitcoins. Shut up. You <laughs> it is empty. Just like how your bed is empty. I said shut up. I'm, not com- I'm complimenting you. This should be empty. In fact, get into the practice of having funerals for empty coffins. That's my advice.
7: What? The bitcoins they pay me are nothing anyway. Like you. Your roots are... Your roots are in my suitcase. What a damned paradox.
2: Oh, Kedek, They told us that cryptocurrencies are rooted in nothing, but normal money is also tied to nothing. Atoms are mostly nothing. Christ's tomb being empty was a hint. No god, you see? When the guards found the stone, moved and the room empty, that was the panty dropping. It made no sound when it landed.
7: And yet you grew infested in my empty suitcase.
2: Now hold on.
5: Kedek gets out of bed and grabs the flower.
2: Hey, what are you doing? Don't do anything brash. Calm down.
5: Help. Time I uprooted you. He uproots the plant and throws
7: it across the room. Mm-hmm. Is she a is she a political prisoner there in the dream state? The plant writhes a
5: bit but mm-hmm. says nothing.
7: Speak up or is she is a native there or could not extend her visa over here or got deported? Mm-hmm.
5: The plant moans. <laughs> Just in case you didn't hear. It. <laughs> I know you.
7: I know you were planted here. Don't deny it. I cannot remember where the woman I met, but, I
5: sure, uh, but I'm but i sure we have. The plant wiggles on the floor against the hall, but says nothing. The hell with you, then. He paces.
7: I need to relinquish this place, cut it loose, so
5: I can focus when I'm there. He grabs the suitcase and pours all the soil out of it until it's empty. Now, he zips it up and grabs it, as if about to leave with it.
2: You think you can get away so easily? They'll send someone, Huh?
5: He stands above the dying creature menacingly. Fade to black. And then fade up. Exterior road day. A road on the outskirts of a city. Cadet is walking along it with his suitcase. Up ahead is a roadhouse or diner. Inside the d- diner. He drinks coffee. In the booth behind him, there are two sinister-looking men watching him. We see a fade-in flashback of Flower showing what Cadet got out of him before he died.
2: You think you can get away so easily? They'll send someone. Mm-hmm.
5: Who? Speaker!
2: You, you have always had two companions tailing you, though you were not aware of them. These are your own thoughts, and the passage of time. These are two who are the gatekeepers.
7: How do I spot them?
2: Where there is suffering, they're causing it.
7: How do I defeat
5: them?
2: Involuntary suffering and conscious labels.
5: Exterior Cadet's house, out the front. Kadek is standing in the foreground watching his house. He holds his suitcase in one hand and a jerry can in the other. He turns to face the audience, breaking the fourth wall, and tosses aside the empty jerry can. I burnt up my past and left with an empty suitcase. He lights up a lighter and drops it on the ground. Fire flares up and then travels in a line, obviously, of petrol, towards the house. Just before it reaches the door, we... Cut to black. (laughs)
1: Terra by Timothy Parish and Philip Talt-Denson Exterior Bush, night. Eucalypt is burnt and smoke fills the air. An elder takes a stick from the fire and uses it to burn a series of marks into his chest. He grimaces in pain. Interior, cell, dawn. Light streams through the bars of an empty concrete cell. In the centre, an Aboriginal man sits on the ground cross-legged. A series of scars across his chest denote initiations. initiation as a lawman. He watches closely as a spider draws a web between the bars of the cell.
3: Oh,
1: shit, okay. Well,
5: why don't
0: you play the... Uh, the, the guard. The, the guard <laughs> it's, really <in>. it. <laughs> it's really alien, man. Sorry. Yep, that's right. <laughs> nothing. You're nothing, hear me?
1: The voice comes from the guard, an overweight, middle-aged man peering through a small slit in the cell door.
0: You're going to hang for what you did.
1: The lawman ignores the threats. His gaze moves beyond the spider to a red cockatoo circling above in the sky.
0: Goddamn animal.
1: The guard tires and goes back to his duty. The lawman continues to watch as dust floats into his cell. He closes his eyes and drinks in the sun. The sound of a door opening outside the cell. Footsteps.
0: Reckon he must be deaf or dumb. Doesn't respond to anything we say.
5: I'd be surprised if he did. From what I understand, he doesn't speak a word of English. Right. Well, are you going to let me in? He might be dangerous. Okay, but the Lord will protect me.
0: If you say so, Father.
1: The guard opens the door and in steps Father John, a priest, a slim, driven man with compassionate eyes. He sits across from the lawman, who stares ahead out of the window. Aye. The lawman breaks out of his trance, hearing his language being spoken. The following is in Yolngu? Yolngu-mata.
8: You speak Yolngu-mata?
5: Mm, just a little. I lived in Alpha oiland for two years. Are
8: you the boss man? <laughs> I'm
5: the priest. I've come here to tell you about Jesus, the Son of God. Is he the boss man? He's the Lord, our Saviour.
8: I want to speak to Jesus then.
5: If you open your heart, He'll speak to you.
1: The priest reveals his Bible.
5: This is the Holy Bible. It teaches (laughs) us the path to peace and salvation. Peace? This
8: is why I'm here. There is too much fighting, it has to stop.
5: Within this book, within this book's covers lies the entire moral universe of our.
1: There is a knock on the door of the cell. The window opens.
0: Another visitor.
1: The door opens and a lawyer enters. He addresses the priest.
0: Good afternoon. My name is William Golding. I'm here to speak with the inmate.
5: Mr. Golding, of course. I'm Father Johnson.
0: Ah, yes, the missionary. They told me you might be able to translate. I'm happy to help. Excellent. Now,
1: the lawyer pulls out another book. The lawman watches as he flips through its pages, then looks over the priest's book, sizing the two up. The lawyer sees the scars on the lawman's chest and pauses.
0: Ah, uh, here. Can you let him know that the trial date has been set for next month on Friday the 15th of February?
5: He says a day's been chosen for you to see the judge. What is a judge? Oh, he's a big lawman who will decide about the fighting.
8: Can he help us stop the fighting?
5: Maybe. I think so, but but you'll have to wait one more month until he's ready.
8: No, I cannot stay in this place any longer. My family waits me.
1: The priest turns to the lawyer.
0: He wants to go home. Don't we all? There's not a day I don't wish I was back in England with the rest of the civilised world.
1: There is a knock on the cell walls.
0: Visiting times are over. You need to lock the prison down before the curfew.
1: The lawyer turns and leaves, not once looking at the lawman. The priest takes his hand.
5: We enjoyed meeting you, son. I'll return soon.
1: The door closes. The lawman is left alone again. He stares out the window. The sun is setting. The red cockatoo continues to float outside. Exterior, bush, day. Cockatoo circles above. The lawman stands staring at it. He calls to it, making the sound of the bird perfectly. He hears someone approaching and hides behind a tree. He sees it is a young woman carrying a child. The lawman jumps from the tree and surprises her. She is surprised, but happy to see him. He takes the child in his arms and holds him high in the air.
5: Can you help me?
1: Interior, cell, day. The lawman turns to see the priest sitting in the cell. The following is spoken in Yon-Yon. Yun.
8: is it?
5: I want to translate the Bible into your language. Why? My mission is to share the Lord's word. So only those that have accepted God into their heart are able to find their place in heaven.
8: Who is this God?
5: God is the, the creator of earth. All of this is God's kingdom. We're all his children.
1: The lawman looks at the Bible in his hand, signing him up.
8: If you can teach me how to read your Bible, then I will help you
5: truly be my pleasure.
1: The priest sits down and opens the book.
5: In the beginning, there was darkness. And then God said, let there be light.
1: Montage, images of them reading. The lawman learning the Bible. We see the pages turn from Genesis to Exodus. Clouds move across the sky. The sun sets, the moon changes. The lawman holds up the Bible and mouths the words New Testament. The priest reads to him.
5: And he said, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Jesus Christ is a good man? Bit poco. He was more than just a man. He was the son of God. God in heaven?
0: Yeah. He came here to teach us the Lord's way.
1: The door clanks open. Visitor. The lawyer enters the cell.
0: Ah, Father John, here again I
1: see... The lawyer stops and looks at the situation. The priest sits reading to the lawman. Beside the them is a pile of pages with ink and a quill.
0: Do you think he understands a word of it?
5: Why don't you ask him?
0: Could <laughs> you please inform my client that his trial will begin next week? I've reviewed the case and I advise him to plead guilty.
5: He says you should say you're guilty in the trial. I broke no law.
0: He says he's innocent. I am afraid that the police officers present. Her. I am afraid the police officers present have a very different story.
8: I am Lawman. I keep the law in my country.
1: The lawyer turns to Lawman for the first time.
0: Sir, you have no country. You have been charged with murder of a police officer in Australia, and we obey the Commonwealth law.
8: You call this Australia now?
0: Indeed. Terra Australis, the land we stand upon was colonised by the British Empire 150 years ago. You will abide by our laws or face the consequences.
1: The lawyer turns to leave. The priest stops him.
5: Not to be rude, son, but this man is your client, correct? Have you heard his version of the mass?
1: The lawyer stares at the priest, then turns to the lawman.
0: Tell me, then, what happened that day?
1: Flashback exterior beach day the lawman is poised with his spear he watches the ripples for movement behind him other warriors also hold their spears up to their eyes a glint of light from a fish the spear hits the water he holds up a fish sounds of gunshot alarm everyone exterior bush day the men run back carrying their spears from afar there is a horse and police officer at their camp The lawman sees that the women have been chained to a tree. A white man sits and smokes, waiting. The men talk amongst themselves. The man holds one of the women by the throat. Lawman throws a spear. It kills the police officer. Everything turns to red, fading into the walls of the prison. Interior, prison cell, day.
8: I never seen the white man before that time. But we heard about the killings, that's all.
1: The lawyer stops writing in his book. He looks up, horrified. So he confesses.
5: The defendant is wife. Tell
0: him if he pleads innocent and found guilty, he'll be executed. But if he takes the guilty plea, the judge may take mercy on him with a life sentence.
8: This is not life. I would rather die.
0: Well, you may just get your wish.
1: The lawyer bangs on the cell door.
0: Guard. Wait, wait, wait.
1: The priest follows him out of the cell and the two of them stand in the corridor.
0: What chance has he got? Constable Jameson, with a native woman. I know his family personally and I don't believe it for one second.
5: But you're his lawyer.
0: A good man is dead. At least leave him his
1: honour. The cell door unlocks and the lawyer leaves. The priest returns to his seat.
8: What is this thing, British Empire? Ah.
5: Oh. They say the sun never sets on British empires, because it rules most of the world.
8: Jesus, him was killed by empire? Oh, no, that was the Roman Empire. So how come you work for empire?
5: The British Empire is Christian. How? We follow the teachings of the Bible.
8: But Jesus teach peace, no?
5: No, this is true.
8: There is no peace in Australia? Where is Jesus?
1: The priest says nothing. Feels the cross around his neck. He closes his Bible. Interior cell, night. Lawman sits in the cell alone. Outside he can hear a fire, singing. He looks through the walls of the cell to a campfire. It is surrounded by elders. The lawman looks down at his hands. He is carrying a spear with blood on it. The elder points at the lawman and he gives it to him. The lawman nods. Exterior prison, day. Sun rises over the prison. Interior lawyer's office. The lawyer puts on his official wig and gown. He dusts himself with powder. He is preparing himself for court. He exits the room. We hear the sound of a crowd and a gavel. Water. Interior prison, dawn. The Australian flag is hoisted up a flagpole. Interior cell, day. The priest and the lawman sit together. The door of the cell swings open and the lawyer enters.
0: The trial is over. The prisoner has been found guilty. He hasn't even testified yet. How can he testify and he can't even speak English? How can you let this happen? He killed that officer. You heard him.
5: He was acting in self-defence.
0: He's lying.
5: That is not up to you to decide. It's
0: already done.
1: Lawman stands up. Lawyer steps back, fear flashing across his face.
8: Can I ask a question?
1: The lawyer is shocked that the lawman can now speak English.
8: You tell me you know law, but you have no clan. You have no skin name. You've never been initiation. You never been you never even seen country.
0: There is no law in this land I can see besides the one we brought here.
8: So, I'm just an animal to you?
0: You were considered a part of the flora and fauna, it is true.
8: And why you think this law so much better than
0: mine? King and country, science, God, the rule of law, civilization, that is the difference between you and I. Unlike your primitive culture, we live in a democracy and we have rights. For example, we can vote our leaders in.
8: When can I vote?
0: You cannot vote, cause you are not citizens.
8: So my question for you, Mister Lawyer, 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 Mister lawyer? lawyer, man, is: If I'm not citizen of Australia, why must, I ob- ob- why must I obey your law?
1: The lawyer does not know how to answer this question.
0: None of this matters. The judge has made his decision and tomorrow God will judge you.
1: He leaves. The priest and the lawman are left.
8: What is this punishment?
1: The priest is shocked.
5: All my life, I believed in I could live as a good Christian and also obey the laws of my country.
8: It isn't your fault. The Romans use force, but you understand.
5: Good boy, my
1: friend. The priest leaves.
0: They're going to hang you in the morning, you bastard.
1: He throws a rope under the door.
0: Why don't you just get it over with?
1: The lawman looks down at the rope. Cut to interior priest's room morning. A bell rings. Dawn light shines through the window. The priest washes his face and stares in the mirror. He covers himself with his robes, picks up his rosary beads and Bible, and says a quiet prayer. Exterior... uh, We follow him behind as the priest walks slowly towards the prison house. He enters the building where the jailer is waiting.
0: Good morning, father. I've come to perform last rites for the prisoner. Be my guest.
1: The jailer takes the keys and opens the door. The priest enters the cell. Interior cell, morning. The priest enters, his head hung low. He looks up, his face marked with sadness. From behind, the jailer looks shocked. Bloody hell small smile crosses his face the jailer runs out the cell is empty the rope hangs from the window it is tied in such a way to bend the bars just enough to allow a slim man to slip through through the bars a red cockatoo flies over the harbor the end
0: The NT Filmmakers Podcast is proudly supported by The Hive, a creative co-working space for Darwin film and creative industry professionals to create, collaborate, focus and network with other filmmakers. The Hive is centrally located at One Pavonia Place, Nightcliff. For bookings and more information, email screenhub at undergrowthproductions.com. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the NT Filmmakers Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information and most informative interviews about all things filmmaking in the Northern Territory. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.untoldigitalmedia.com.au forward slash podcast.
1: This has been an Untold Digital Media production, copyright 2019.